0: You're listening to Privacy and Security Insights, brought to you by Picasso.
1: Hello and welcome to the Picasso podcast series, episode seven. I'm Paul Jordan, chair of the Picasso board, and today we have a great topic up for discussion, which is how to measure the effectiveness of privacy regulation from the perspective of organizations. I'm delighted to take up this conversation with Steve Wright, board member of Picasso and CEO and founder of Privacy Culture Limited. And please note that Steve has also written a great paper, a great accompanying paper on this topic. So if you haven't read it yet, you can access the paper through our LinkedIn page or website. So welcome, Steve. Thank you, Paul. I'm delighted to be here. So let's get straight into the nitty gritty of the subject. And I'd like to start with a question that challenges a lot of international organizations. and That is, how does an organization strike the balance between implementing standardized privacy regulation practice across different business units, taking into account potentially unique regional requirements or jurisdictional requirements, cultural nuances in various countries? And how would they do this to ensure effective privacy regulation? Well,
0: Paul, that's a fantastic question <laughs> to start the conversation off with. And, uh, it's a global question, but I thought I would tone for that for the rest of the podcast. I think striking the balance is is the right kind of term you use there, because your question gave away the answers, and that is don't try to think. My approach would be don't try to think that there are going to be some regional nuances Okay, so you want to standardise certainly in terms of your compliance and in terms of um, how you measure that in terms of the compliance. But I think what we're talking about is the effectiveness of how that has landed from region to region. And, and in that, I would say there is always nuances. There's differences in, from a cultural perspective, from ways of working, And the expectations from both consumers and from your staff. So my advice always around this is, yes, you want the framework, you want a set of, if you like, KPIs and measurements in place, but how they're applied, you should allow for making sure there's sort of provision for regional nuances in terms of how they're operationalized. Because this is what I see is you can't just fit one standard set of measures and then expect everybody just to adhere to those. You just need to um, accommodate those local sort of nuances to ensure that it is effective. We come on to how we do that. That's the answer to that large question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) So let's let's look at it from a more practical perspective. So how would an organization typically go about identifying suitable benchmarks to so look at addressing effectiveness of privacy practice and regulation, taking mm-hmm. account of, of all the the potential differences within jurisdictions and regions, is, is there a way to do this effectively? What have you seen through your work uh, in privacy, particularly the work of, of, of privacy uh, culture limited? Yeah. So again, this is a good question because the different
0: organizations will end up in my experience hanging their hat on a particular uh, framework that could be nist obviously it could be gdpr very often is gdpr but increasingly with our american clients we're seeing a lot of alignment with the nist standards less so on the iso standards actually that's quite rare but certainly is out there and it's one of the sort of ways of measuring yourself. As you know, our company does benchmarking, international benchmarking. We've personally set in a range of control measures that we test for the effectiveness of. There's about 150 controls, so we're testing those across the business. But I think the difference really is how you measure. And what I would say, we use the uh, Carnegie Mellon uh, Virtuity Index, came out of the university in America. And the CMMI index is used as a great way to benchmark yourself. Zero to five. Zero being ad hoc. Five being sort of fully implemented, measurable. Very few organisations, by the way, put are out of five. In fact, I don't think I've met any. I'm and I think yes, exactly. And I think the my approach, and, and certainly something that we endorse, is to look at the cultural aspects
1: in line with the measures that you're evaluating. And just when you you say cultural aspects, are you Mm -hmm. also talking about cultural maturity?
0: Yeah, really. Because what you really want to understand is attitudes and behaviours. There's one thing having a policy that you've set out very clearly, this is our way of measuring that policy. You can do that through third line or second line, self-attestation or whatever method you use. Mm. But I would strongly endorse that you look at the cultural aspects because really what you want to understand from the staff is what are their barriers to entry feel like what's stopping them from under- from following this procedure or following that process for say DPIA. So so to measure that you need to understand attitudes and behavior and you need to appreciate cultural differences. So it's almost too binary to say, okay, here's a benchmark, let's just look at this from a CMMI index perspective, or let's look at this from an effectiveness, you need to be considering the people aspect when measuring how this is working, because you're almost, (laughs) dare I say, you're deluding yourself. If you think by creating these policies and procedures, people are instantly going to follow them, Yes, you're gonna then argue, well, we've done training, but training is not enough, I would say. And you need to understand if you're helping them, empowering them to really appreciate why these controls are there and why they need to be effective. So I would say you need to measure the culture, you need to measure the level of knowledge, you need to measure the the behaviors, the attitudes, And one other measure which we look at is perceived control. So that's the difference between kind of, is this my responsibility or is it somebody else's? And that's a really good one to measure because lots of people think, oh, it's okay. I've got a DBO or a CPO. (laughs) That's somebody else's problem. When actually what
1: you want is people to feel empowered, people to feel accountable and responsible. So it's really about bridging the gap between what is effectively privacy on the books and privacy on the ground. Exactly. So with that with that in mind, from your experience, could you give an example of where an organization has effectively used their benchmarking results to make tangible improvements, either in their data protection practices or compliance efforts? Do you, do you have a case in point where you could highlight that?
0: Yeah, we've recently done some work with a, a large American bank, and that was looking at this area. And in particular, we dived into the area of data protection impact assessment or privacy by design, actually, mm-hmm. at a more broader level. So the question is, how effective is the measure of privacy by design or, or the control of privacy by design across our bank? And so what's interesting about that is when you go into that, you start to look at the um, how it's being used when a DPIA is invoked and what point in the process of change or introducing a new innovative idea, or perhaps you're about to go down the AI route and you want to sort of test that or build a new application. Whatever the situation is, there's some sort of invocation process. And it's at that point you can really follow the story and understand how effective it was. Well, did it change the course or the project, did the outcomes comply, if you like, satisfactorily with your ethics or with your privacy notice and your privacy policy? In other words, are you living up to what you put down on the paper? And is it working in practice? So, yeah, this bank specifically wanted to address that because they had a feeling <laughs> um, that it wasn't working well. And the, the CPO is very astute, and she um, commissioned us to look at it and then help redesign it. Um, and the key to that, Paul, was around, as you would expect, communication and positioning, but also understanding at what point, if I'm working in customer services and I'm frontline, or if I'm in the back office, the upstream or the downstream, then at what point should I be thinking about privacy by design? And therefore, things like are, are those tools available to me? Is the knowledge there instantly accessible? So is it an easily accessible format? Are all considerations that will be those barriers to changing people's attitudes and behaviors? And that's really what
1: we're talking about, changing people's attitudes and behaviors. And that's an important one. And when you think about the ever-evolving landscape of technology and data privacy. How do you think organizations are prepared to ensure that their benchmarks remain relevant or adaptable potentially to such changes or advancements in technologies? Do you think that organizations are geared up to to address those issues? I mean, obviously, we've seen a lot happening within the digital environments. And how is that reflected in how companies are addressing the effectiveness of privacy regulation?
0: Yeah, again, I think there's a mixed bag on this subject and that's not withstanding the fact that obviously lots of privacy officers are, are typically what very often lawyers or certainly experienced in understanding the law and the changes what i see less of is the evidence if you like how that law or that regulation change or technology change is going to have an impact on their organization so I think that's partly because we're still quite a nascent industry, but I think that's also because most CPOs, DPOs that I would know are very time poor, and sure. in effect, they're firefighting and trying to stay on top of current regulation whilst keeping a, a sort of eye on new upcoming regulations. So in an ideal world with more time and perhaps even more resource, then I think they would be better enabled, I suppose, to look at these changes and definitely societal. There's much more, if I stick to my 14 year old or my 17 year old or my 22 year olds, even between those three children, I get very different. Attitudes and understandings about what privacy is. So I use them as my benchmark, <laughs> if you like, to make sure that I'm still trying to understand what's happening in society and what's normal. And then on technology with AI and ChatGPT and all of these other advancements. As much, there's quite a lot else going on as well. Um, I think it's really hard for organisations and CPOs, DPOs to stay ahead of that, but really to take the time out to do what-if scenarios, to look at almost like horizon scanning, to look at what does the AI Act mean for me and my business? What does the DSA mean for me and my business, if that's appropriate? Or I'm a third processor rather than a controller. So how is this going to trickle down through the supply chain? What can I be doing now to prepare myself? So I think, to answer your question, I think it's really hard. And I think the benchmarking aspect is about... I suppose it's almost like brave enough really to, to actually evaluate yourself and compare yourself on a year by year basis to even do that independently is maybe perhaps a step too far for most organizations. But I strongly endorse anybody who's willing to benchmark, use a particular standard to benchmark themselves, even if they do that internally and to track that, to track against that benchmarking so they can see, and as I said earlier, what are the cultural changes that, that they're seeing as a result of new privacy ways of working or new privacy policies or data ethic principles? What are they seeing actually
1: working operationally in the field? That's the question. I think that's, that's great insight, Steve. And I think with the increasing challenges facing organizations, I guess it's important to highlight the significance of cross-functional collaboration within organizations. Mm -hmm. It's not just about legal and risk. It's also about business functionality, having a good understanding of the intersects with technology. Yeah, and when that comes, that's obviously going to be very critical to accurately measuring the effectiveness of privacy practice in organizations. And in your experience, are you seeing an increased, we've we've talked about this over the years, Mm -hmm. uh, where privacy functions have felt particularly siloed in some instances. Are you seeing a, a more... A stronger embrace of uh, that cross-functional collaborations and organizations to your experience. Mm-hmm. Yes, in, in in a short answer, certainly
0: what you just said about the cross-collaboration is critical. In my experience, I haven't been a CPO and a DPA for large dispersed organizations. This is all about communication. If you like, you can lead the horse to water, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna drink it. So there is an aspect to all of this, which is heavily collaborative, heavily about communication. And the key word for me is enablement. So how do you enable your business? And I think how are you materially reducing the level of risk? That's a good question to ask yourself. How are you improving on where you were last year? Is another question, and really, how are you empowering your business? Certainly from a trust and perspective, but how are you really empowering the people on the ground who are client-facing or who are customer services-facing? How are you making them feel more confident about what they do with the data on a day-to-day basis? And those are the kind of measures that I think you really start to uncover whether or not your privacy program is working effectively. And whether or not you've operationalized this, you've embedded it into the business and the business are really starting to see benefits.
1: Thanks, Steve. I think that's a great note to finish on. Enabling business, empowering your people and your staff. So thank you so much for those insightful uh, remarks today. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks very much. Thank you.